Hey, everybody. It is Friday, September 1st. Thanks for getting your Labor Day weekend started with us. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, exciting plans on this holiday weekend? We are going to see fireworks at some point. Uh, We're taking my daughter to see fireworks on Sunday night. So that should be a lot of fun. Nice to be able to have a Sunday night without Sunday scaries, uh, having that Monday (laughs) off. Here in the city, we're preparing for a week in the 90 degree zone here, uh, sort of that last blast of summer. And Jill, I'm I'm hanging a bit of art in the baby's room. Ooh, post some pictures on the Instagram account. I want to see what you guys picked. Will do. All right, Moshe, it is officially the final countdown for you guys in terms of uh, baby O, but let's get to some news here. Some travel stats as we head into the long weekend, and maybe not the news that you want to hear heading into that weekend, but the U.S. government could be lowering its drink recommendations by quite a bit. We'll bring you the numbers. On to politics, a third party is trying to get onto the ballot for this upcoming presidential race, and yet another group is trying to prevent that group (laughs) from doing it, we'll explain. A new phase in the war in Ukraine... Plus, U.S. health officials want to loosen restrictions around marijuana. A member of the Proud Boys uh, gets sentenced to nearly two decades in prison for the insurrection on January 6th. Meanwhile, Donald Trump pleads not guilty in the Georgia racketeering case. And let's hear it for the girls. Nebraska volleyball sets a world record for women's sports attendance. And if you're like me and couldn't afford or, quite frankly, figure out how to even be eligible for Taylor Swift tickets for her Eras tour, you're in luck. We'll tell you why. Plus, it is Friday, what we are watching, reading, and eating. All right, let's start with a bit of travel news. As many of you head out on your holiday weekend, the FAA predicts that this will be the third busiest holiday weekend of the year so far, behind only the Juneteenth Father's Day weekend and the President's Day break. The TSA expects to screen more than 14 million passengers from today through Wednesday, up nearly 11% over the same weekend last year. The TSA administrator warning that at times it could take more than 30 minutes to get through security and more than 10 minutes in pre-check lanes. So he says, we encourage you to arrive early and Mosh. Pack your, your patience. patience. <laughs> um, for those of you who haven't listened to this podcast ahead of travel weekends, it is literally the phrase Jill and I might hate the most, pack your patience. And uh, look for it on your local news this weekend because I guess they teach us somewhere in journalism school. I forgot the day we learned it, but like you're, it's mandatory to use the term pack your patience. It's one of those terms only used on TV or with spokespeople who are, who need sound bites for TV, oh. but never used in person. You never told a family member like or a friend like, <laughs> hey, you should probably pack your patience. <laughs> what should I pack for the weekend? Um, let's see. <laughs> a dress for Saturday night, some shoes, and definitely pack your patience. Oh, man. All right. Well, I, Jill, I saw it, so we had to include it even though we hate it. <laughs> it's a love-hate thing. Um, so yesterday was the busiest day in U.S. aerospace, just over 52,000 flights. Uh, second busiest day today, if you're listening to us in the airport, on the way to the airport after you just landed, uh, you're lucky if your flights are on time, uh, given how busy it is. There'll be a lull uh, tomorrow and Sunday, and then flights pick back up Monday and Tuesday. The good news right now, actually, for travelers is that the rate of canceled flights is down almost 20% from last summer, according to FlightAware. 
And thankfully, not much at all in terms of delays uh, lingering from Hurricane Idalia that hit the southeast earlier this week. But the cleanup does continue across Florida, Georgia, and the Carolinas. Just a quick update there while we're talking about all of this. Uh, the death toll is still at three. Many people heeded warnings, got out when the government told them to get out. So the authorities in Florida are very pleased with how alert people were, uh, how much they listened um, to the warnings. Still, there are a couple hundred thousand people without power uh, across the region this morning. And there's still significant damage to infrastructure. The estimate right now from Moody's is that between 12 to $20 billion with a B uh, in damage was done by the hurricane and the tornadoes it created. It's a lot less, though, than recent storms. Hurricane Ian last year, almost $120 billion. This is $100 billion less from that. So this will not be one of the more expensive uh, hurricanes, particularly because the area is, it struck when it was at its strongest is a pretty rural area of Florida, uh, less populated still uh, for those residents, uh, people with shops there, etc. It will be a uh, months-long recovery. And switching gears, maybe not the news you want to hear going into a holiday weekend, but uh, the U.S. government could soon change its national alcohol recommendations. I'll start out by saying, if you're like me, you didn't even realize that they recommended a certain (laughs) amount of alcohol. (laughs) But the current USDA guidelines, which have been in place since the 1990s, say that men should stick to no more than two alcoholic beverages a day, a day while women should cut themselves off after one drink a day. Those guidelines, again, merely a recommendation. But George Koob, Dr. George Koob, who's the alcohol czar for President Biden, he recently told the Daily Mail that the U.S. is looking at Canada's recent alcohol consumption guidance, which now recommends that people limit themselves to two alcoholic drinks in a week. So if you do the math, that's down from the previous 14 weekly drinks for men, and seven for women, and they say it's in order to reduce health risks associated with drinking. So I learned a bunch from this story, including, Jill, we have an alcohol czar. Uh, I didn't know about the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Uh, That's uh, the organization that Kube runs here. Uh, And so he was quoted as saying, you know, Canada's made those recommendations. Uh, We don't see alcohol benefiting one's health. So we should bring down our guidelines, too. Again, these are just a recommendation, uh, but it is getting a lot of attention. It does come as binge drinking is way up. There was a study out of the University of Michigan recently that found that it's on the rise, particularly among people 35 to 50. We've talked about it on this podcast. At the same time, because everything in Washington is political, a number of Republican lawmakers blasted the comments this week uh, that Americans need to stick to two drinks a week or two beers a week. Uh, some congressmen calling it ridiculous. A Texas Republican senator, Ted Cruz, uh, on Fox News, saying Democrats are trying to control every aspect of our life. And then he did this TV interview. A warning here. He uses some colorful language. And now these idiots have come out and said, drink two beers a week. That's their guideline. Well, I got to tell you, if they want us to drink two beers a week, frankly, they can kiss my ass. And most for everybody who is just listening to that and not actually watching it, Ted Cruz drinks a beer, as do about five or six people who are standing behind him. It looks like they're in a bar, a very choreographed, coordinated chug. You got to be outraged. You always got to be outraged. In this case, you have to be outraged at the person who's worried about alcohol abuse and alcoholism and its health impact is recommending you drink less. But you got to be outraged by it these days. So, yes, that was an interview on Newsmax in a bar 
with a bunch of people who all gulp down their beers after he says, kiss my behind. All right, sticking with politics, uh, as it's looking more and more like a Donald Trump, Joe Biden rematch in 2024, a rematch that about two thirds of Americans say that they're not happy about. Is this the moment when a third party candidate could really break through? Well, enter No Labels, a bipartisan group preparing a potential third party presidential ticket. They've been doing focus groups to help figure out a plan to select a candidate next year without a traditional state run primary system. The Washington Post reports that they're also considering having televised town halls or debates possibly with a media partner to help kickstart the process of selecting presidential and vice presidential nominees. So the plan would be to nominate candidates at an April convention in Dallas, but only if the group's leaders think that there is a viable path to victory against the Democratic and Republican nominees. They've repeatedly vowed not to float a spoiler candidate that hurts President Biden and helps former President Trump. No Labels says their mission is to elevate bipartisan compromise. One of their senior advisors, Ryan Clancy, telling The Post that the whole idea of this is that it has to be a demand-driven phenomenon. He says that we want a ticket like this to be selected because there is an overwhelming desire for something different. And he says the end game isn't necessarily a ticket. The end game is a voice for the common sense majority. Yeah, you mentioned the spoiler thing, and that's a big deal. And Democrats are incensed about this because they believe that a third party moderate candidate in the context of 2024 will take more votes away from Biden than Trump. Keep in mind, the last couple of elections, it's been a matter of 100,000 or less votes in a couple states. Uh, And so every vote matters as far as the Democrats are concerned. And they feel that the Trump hardcores will never vote for a third party, whereas uh, Democrats and independents might, thereby hurting Biden. But no labels, which has been around for almost two decades now, uh, again, more of as a movement to get the two sides to talk to each other. They now feel the time is for a to have their own candidate, their own presidential run. They say they're only going to do it if they can win. The logistical hurdles, though, are enormous. It's a new party without traditional state-by-state infrastructure. Uh, you mentioned they're going to figure out how to nominate uh, a candidate uh, so it looks democratic, so they can go with this convention that they're going to have in the spring in Dallas with delegates. Uh, a second way is to have tens of thousands of members of No Labels uh, who have contributed to the group vote for a nominee. Another way is to invite as many as the more than 70 million people who No Labels has identified as independent voters uh, selected. But again, they haven't quite figured out the logistics of doing this. And keep in mind, getting on the ballot in all 50 states is very complicated and very different. Ask Kanye West. He was one of those candidates in 2020 who was trying to run, and you got to get a certain number of signatures, a certain number of dates. I mean, the two parties have made it basically impossible for a third party uh, to get on the ballot in all 50 states unless you have tons and tons of money. That's why billionaires are typically the ones to do this sort of thing, like Ross Perot back in the 90s. Okay, Mosh, so let's name names among the potential candidates that are being circulated. We've mentioned this before, Senator Joe Manchin. uh, He is a Democrat from West Virginia. He has openly discussed leaving the Democratic Party and becoming an independent. He is a supporter of no labels, and he has left open the possibility that he would run for president. So he definitely seems like he's on the top of this list. Another name being floated, um, Tulsi Gabbard. She's a former Democratic Hawaii congresswoman um, who has actually run for president before. 
Yeah, though you might see her recently on Fox News where she's been hosting shows. She's become a, a major critic of Democrats. Okay, then there's New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu. A rising star in the Republican Party, very independent, very moderate, and he decided not to run in his party's uh, race this year. Larry Hogan, the former governor from Maryland. The uh, only real Republican who really ran against Trump in 2020 took on uh, when he was a sitting president, didn't get much traction. Again, uh, very moderate uh, when it comes to the Republican Party. Moshe, I feel like we're playing word association. (laughs) (laughs) Sununu. Oh, all right. Uh, retired Admiral William McRaven, a former head of the U.S. Special Operations Command. Oversaw special ops when they took out bin Laden. And then there's former Utah Governor John Huntsman, who also you may recognize that name. He ran for president in 2012. And most recently, under Trump, was the ambassador to Russia. <laughs> Did I pass the quiz? Always. Uh, I had no doubt. <laughs> Uh, Some Democrats, though, some top Democrats are really pushing against this effort. They say, as we mentioned before, a third party has no shot and would take more votes away from Joe Biden than Donald Trump. That's going to be interesting to see, Jill. We were diving into the numbers over on our premium Instagram account. If you're interested in a deep dive on the two-party system going back to George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, uh, through today... We take you on that journey, on that roller coaster, uh, over on the Mo News Premium Instagram account. You can join today, 30-day free trial, over at mo.news slash premium with the code Mo News Trial. Check it out, especially, again, if you're interested in getting your questions answered. How did we get into this place where we have these two parties and they locked it in? Hint, hint. It goes back to the 1850s around the Civil War. Um, but to the issue of today and no labels, uh, they have received a lot of criticism because they're not set up like a normal party. There's not full transparency around them. So we don't actually know who all their donors are. But what has come out is that there are donors who are certainly independent, moderate Democrats, Republicans. But there are some Trump supporters who've been putting money into the no labels effort, hoping that'll disrupt the election and hurt Biden. So Democrats point to that saying, see, you're letting Trump supporters take advantage of you guys. You guys have no shot at winning this. You're only going to mess with things. And keep in mind, the feelings are still raw right now for Democrats. Go back to the year 2000. A guy by the name of Ralph Nader won a whole bunch of votes in Florida in an election that Al Gore lost to Bush by by a couple hundred votes in Florida. So they're like, Ralph, you messed it up for Al Gore. Fast forward to 2016, a woman by the name of Jill Stein for the Green Party, which, by the way, is running again this year. Jill Stein took enough votes in places like Wisconsin and Michigan that they feel turned the tide against Hillary Clinton and allowed Trump to become president. So as far as Democrats are concerned, in the past 20 years, there have been two elections. They feel third-party candidates have spoiled for them. And then you could look back at the Republicans back in 1992. Ross Perot, George H.W. Bush pointed at him saying, you burned me. That's why I wasn't reelected and Bill Clinton got in. By the way, Bill Clinton got elected with 43% of the vote. He didn't get more than 50% in any state but Arkansas, his home state. So... um, The record right now, if you look at third-party candidates, especially in the modern era, shows that they are not anywhere close to winning. And when I say modern era, I take you back to the 1860s. Yeah, most Democrats uh, and even some Republicans are so concerned about the possibility that this will be a spoiler that they've actually created another bipartisan group. (laughs) It is called Citizens to Save Our Republic. It's basically an anti-no-labels super PAC. Yes. So you have the Democratic and Republican parties. Then you have no label saying we're going to be an alternative. Then you have Citizens Save Our Republic, which is like an anti-no labels group saying 
no, we need to save our republic by allowing the two parties to stay there so Joe Biden can be elected. Um, they have polling that shows that in a uh, three-party race, based on the current numbers, Trump would get 40%, Biden gets 39%, and no labels gets 21%. But remember, we're not just a popular election here in this country. We're an electoral college country, right? You have to win uh, the electoral votes of each state. And that's where they feel no labels could be a real spoiler in those battleground states. Enough independents and Democrats and moderate Republicans would vote for the third party candidate and allow Trump to get through. So when you're hearing that anti-third party thing, uh, keep in mind the two parties have always been anti-third party. They like their power. It's been that way for 160 years. But in particular this year, Democrats are going to argue that the future of our democracy, the future of our republic, hence save our republic, is based on the fact of preventing Donald Trump from becoming president again. So they're like, hey, no labels. Try another time. Don't mess with the election this time. Citizens to save our republic should really just be called labels. <laughs> yes, yes, save labels, save labels. Yes, labels. Because, yes, we are for labels. Enough with the no labels. But I mean, that's always the thing is like, now is not the time for a third party. Now is not the time for a third party. But we're hearing from a lot of people in the Mo News community, especially given the numbers, you know, showing that 60 something percent of Democrats and Republicans don't want their. Trump or Biden to run again. And yet uh, you have all these complicating factors in here. So this is going to be one of the fascinating themes to watch in the next year. I loved reading the commentary from the Mo News community because a lot of people kind of laid out where they stood on some issues and said they don't have a home. They, they, they yeah. agree with some positions from the left, some positions for the right, and they feel like there's just nowhere for them to go. And frankly, they want solutions again. They don't want all the fighting and all the extremes. So our system is set up in this country. And again, you can check it out over at the Mo News Premium Instagram account, is set up right now uh, by the two parties to ensure the survival uh, and the strength of the two parties. And the two parties are broken, frankly. And so a lot of democracies out there in the world aren't set up like we're, we're set up. They're set up proportionally. That allows multiple parties in there. And here we're entrenched. And so... Again, uh, people feel frustrated, and that's why you're going to be hearing more and more about third parties for the next year. All right, Jill, we have a lot more to get to in today's Speed Read. But first, we want to thank one of the sponsors we love here at the Mo News Podcast, Bolin Branch, a longtime sponsor, a longtime partner here. And they have made this summer of record heat a bit easier with some really soft and breathable sheets. We first got them in our house earlier this year. We've been loving them. I know you guys have them as well. Bolin Branch, that is B-O-L-L -L and Branch. Sheets are made with organic cotton and don't include the harsh chemicals that are used by other brands. And the sheets do get softer with every wash. And right now they're offering a special deal for the Monews community. You can get 15% off with your first order when you use the promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS, so you can sleep better at night with Bull and Branch sheets. Keep in mind, exclusions apply. See site for details. Time now for the speed read. Let's start overseas with the war in Ukraine and what's increasingly being turned into uh, the war inside of Russia. A new phase in this conflict from the BBC. A Ukrainian government official has confirmed that Ukraine was, in fact, behind Wednesday's drone attack on a Russian airbase at Skov. A number of transport planes were said to be damaged or destroyed. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Zelensky saying that it was a Ukrainian-made weapon that had hit that target at a distance of about 450 miles. 
Ukraine believes that four planes were destroyed and two others damaged. The damaged aircraft are long-range cargo planes, ideal for transporting troops and equipment over long distances, and therefore very valuable war assets for Russia. Russia has vowed that Ukraine will, quote, not go unpunished for the attacks. And it comes after Ukrainian officials said Russia hit the Ukrainian capital with a massive bombardment earlier this week, which was the biggest attack since the spring. So, Moshe, it looks like, if anything, the fighting is getting more intense. Yeah, we're 18 months in here uh, and no signs of letting up. Uh, Ukraine very slowly making progress on the ground as part of its counteroffensive. It launched earlier this summer, but at the same time, trying to make Russians feel the pain at home, making Putin aware that uh, they're not giving up here uh, and alerting Russians on the ground that there's this war going on in Ukraine and it's not going well because you're getting attacked at home yourself. Ukraine's drone war on Russia now almost a daily occurrence inside of uh, Putin's nation there. Wednesday's attacks were among the most widespread so far. A fuel depot and microelectronics factory where components for Russian weapon systems are made were also hit in the attacks. On Thursday morning, the mayor of Moscow said another drone had been shot down over the capital there. Earlier, Russian media reported dozens of flights had been delayed at Moscow airports, a regular occurrence now because of these drone attacks. It comes as the Ukrainians are calling for more and more weapons. Uh, and the general feeling is that, uh, you know, the U.S. and the West are only giving Ukraine enough weapons to keep up the fight against Russia, but not so many weapons and significant weapons that would allow the war to escalate. Uh, and the Ukrainians will say, not enough to let us win. Uh, and so that's prolonging the war. So this push and pull that you're seeing uh, continues 18 months in. Is the West doing enough? Well, the West is doing a lot, but not as far as Ukraine's concerned, uh, not as far as uh, ensuring there's enough movement on the ground to try to strike some sort of a deal at some point. So keep in mind that uh, you're going to see a break in the action probably in October, November, um, as the weather changes and storms come in. But then as the ground is frozen in the winter, this war will continue. So would not be surprised if we're sitting here in six months, Jill, uh, marking two years of war. For Maxios, the Biden administration is moving ever so slowly to loosen restrictions on marijuana. The Department of Health and Human Services telling the DEA that it wants cannabis reclassified as a Schedule Three drug. This move would make it easier for companies to bring cannabis products to market. Marijuana has been categorized as a Schedule One drug since 1970, meaning that it is considered to have no accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. It comes as 23 states have legalized it for recreational use, and polls show substantial support for marijuana legalization. So this move to Schedule Three is significant. This would put marijuana uh, next to ketamine, next to testosterone, as opposed to Schedule One drugs like heroin, LSD, ecstasy. Uh, Schedule three substances are considered to have some medical uses and a lower potential for addiction. Advocates want the Biden administration to go further and remove marijuana altogether from the list of controlled substances instead of rescheduling it. Uh, this is big news, though, for marijuana startups. They've been cheering here. Uh, one uh, official called it the biggest news for the cannabis industry in 70 years. The DEA, though, has final authority to reschedule drugs. So they're going to now initiate their own review. But as you noted, Jill, this is after 23 states have already legalized it recreationally, 28 states. Uh, it's legal for medicinal purposes. And now the federal government, where it's still illegal, uh, ever so slightly coming around here. 
from USA Today. Proud Boys member Joseph Biggs was sentenced Thursday to 17 years in prison. That is the second longest sentence yet related to the Capitol attack on January 6th of 2021. And it's for his role in the seditious conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election and keep Donald Trump in the White House. Prosecutors had proposed a 33-year sentence for Biggs. They say that he helped lead Proud Boys at the Capitol, charged up scaffolding, made it inside to the Senate chamber, and posted on social media that the riot was, quote, a warning shot to the government that showed, quote, how weak they truly are. A lawyer for Biggs and another Proud Boys defendant argued for a sentence far below the government's recommendation and said that a decade behind bars would be excessive. But the U.S. District Judge, Timothy Kelly, he enhanced the sentence based on ruling that the crimes constituted terrorism because they were intended to influence the government. Kelly said he aimed for the sentence to deter future violence and protect the public. Biggs telling the judge before being sentenced, I know that I messed up that day but I am not a terrorist. Biggs had posted a video, by the way, on January 6th, where he said, this is a day that'll live in infamy, reference to Pearl Harbor. Uh, Notably, Kelly, who you mentioned there, the judge, was actually a judge, a federal judge appointed by Trump. Uh, Jill, he was overwhelmingly approved by the Senate, uh, Republicans and Democrats. But he's a Trump appointee who's been taking January 6th cases actually very seriously, um, the ones that he's heard so far. He's actually allowed some testimony that's pretty damning to Trump himself and his involvement in January 6th. So Biggs here got 17 years. The longest previous sentence was for a guy named Stuart Rhodes. He was the leader of the Oath Keepers, another militant group. Now, the Justice Department is appealing, trying to get an even longer sentence. Uh, Biggs, for his part, was among five Pride Boy members scheduled to be sentenced this week. Uh, they were convicted back in April. Just for reference here, the Proud Boys are a far-right, militant, fascist group, only men that preaches violence domestically, uh, and a whole bunch of them were involved in January 6th. A quick check of the numbers here. More than 1,100 people have now been charged with federal crimes related to January 6th. More than 600 have already been sentenced uh, and are serving some sort of time here. Trump, of course, was indicted earlier uh, in August on conspiracy charges of obstructing Congress and uh, inciting the Capitol attack. He pleaded not guilty, has a federal trial related March 4th. And that's separate from the Georgia case, which I know we have an update on as well today. That's right. And another one of Donald Trump's legal cases, he has pleaded not guilty to charges that he conspired to subvert the 2020 election in Georgia. This from Politico, Trump formally signaling his intent to fight the charges in the sprawling racketeering case brought by Fulton County prosecutors. He answered his plea Thursday in a two-page court filing meant to waive his appearance at an arraignment. It was scheduled for September 6th, and that's when he was slated to have the charges read to him in court, as they do in an arraignment. In Georgia, you do have the ability to file your plea via paperwork in advance. Several of the 18 defendants charged alongside him have also waived their appearance at the scheduled arraignment. In the filing, Trump refers to himself three times as President Trump or President Donald Trump. He seems to go back and forth. Sometimes he will acknowledge he's former President Trump. Sometimes he continues to call himself uh, President Trump. One of the reasons, by the way, uh, most of the folks, including Trump, are filing in advance here. Georgia's different than the rest of the states. They allow cameras in the courtroom, video cameras, live coverage inside the courtroom, unlike New York and uh, the federal cases. So uh, Trump, presumably, and the rest want to avoid live coverage 
them saying on camera, not guilty, um, appearing that way. You know, so far we've only gotten court sketches, those artist renderings uh, from inside the court. George is going to be different. And so while for now uh, we won't see them on camera, they have approved live coverage of the entire trial. So when the trial starts, whether it's this year or next year, if it stays in the state and doesn't go to the federal level, uh, we will get live coverage from inside that trial, which will be fascinating to watch. And we'll see how that impacts things uh, politically next year. The plea here signals a new phase of the proceedings. Uh, They trigger the start of evidence sharing by prosecutors as they advance towards the still unscheduled trial. The district attorney, Fonnie Willis, wants to try all 19 of them together in the racketeering case in October in just about eight weeks. Uh, That was actually a date demanded by a couple of the defendants who just want to get this over with. Uh, Trump does not. Trump wants the case to start in 2026. He wants two and a half years to prepare. Imagine it won't be 2026. And it might not be October. It might be sometime in between then uh, next year. Uh, Trump is looking to sever his case from the rest and transfer it to federal court because he was the president and feels that this was done while he had a federal role. So he doesn't want to have to deal with all these rules in Georgia or a state case for that matter. From ESPN, Nebraska volleyball sets the world record for women's sports attendance. 92,003 fans watched the five-time NCAA champion Nebraska volleyball team beat Omaha 3-zip. On what was dubbed Volleyball Day in Nebraska, the match was the culmination of months of planning for a program and state that have long led the way in enthusiasm for the sport. The crowd at what was usually the home of the Nebraska football team broke the previous world record for women's sports attendance, which was 91,648, set back in 2022 in Barcelona, Spain, for a Champions League match between FC Barcelona and Wolfsburg. And this, by the way, um, in Nebraska was paid attendance. Tickets for this doubleheader were originally priced at 25 bucks for adults and $5 for high school students and younger, but they reached as high as 400 bucks on the secondary market. That's almost Taylor Swift ticket status there, Jill. Mm, not really. <laughs> <laughs> not really, not really. Still 400 bucks, pretty significant. We did hear from a couple people in the Mo News community who attended the volleyball match and said it was thrilling to be part of that huge crowd. Uh, the previous record for a women's sports event was a soccer game back in the 90s at the Rose Bowl. That was a landmark event for women's athletics. Significant here, Jill, this was an early season college volleyball game. Still, with the planning, etc., they got this huge, huge crowd. The university, the state take attendance uh, very seriously. Nebraska is known for its sellout streaks. Uh, right now, there are 389 straight sold out football games, 306 straight uh, sold out volleyball games. Nebraska was part of the previous record for volleyball. It was a a much smaller crowd a couple of years ago. The NCAA was asked about this. They uh, try to keep track of uh, some of the major sports, but they can't keep track of all of them. They did point to an outdoor hockey game between Michigan and Michigan State uh, about a decade ago in Ann Arbor that drew 113,000 people. Uh, But they're very proud of this in Nebraska. Uh, And the athletic director at Nebraska says there's a great business case and strategy around women's athletics that maybe college athletics has not embraced yet. And we think here in Nebraska, we've significantly invested in women's athletics and you're seeing the result of that. And speaking of women from Entertainment Weekly, Taylor Swift headed to a movie theater near you. For those who did not manage to snag tickets to the singer's massive Eras Tour, 
or even for people who did and just want to experience it again. Swift revealed this week that Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour concert film, is heading to AMC and other theaters starting on October 13th. Because, of course, it is. We know she loves the number 13. Every AMC location in the U.S. will run at least four showtimes per day on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. See you there, Mosh. I'll be there. And I imagine that Taylor might uh, show up at a couple of these. That could be fun and surprising for some people. That could be... Like um, the best day ever. Like the best day ever. Like, <laughs> you you know, the tickets right now are just under 20 bucks uh, for adults. And the tickets for children and seniors at $13.13. Because, of course. Uh, but it would be very cool to see her in person. So we'll see if she shows up. I threw it out there just as an idea. Not that I've heard anything here. But this is obviously much, 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 <laughs> much cheaper than the thousands some people had to shell out for tickets. But you can get your tickets today over at amctheaters.com or Fandango. As the theater chains are still coming off their high from the Barbenheimer uh, summer, I imagine this will give a much-needed boost this fall. It's so smart, Mosh. Um, you've just got to imagine it, it's an experience, right? It's it's one of those things. It's a, it's a reason for people to go. You could see girls, women dressing up and going and making it really an event, a night out. Sure. I personally cannot wait. <laughs> uh, and maybe I will take my daughter, actually. Um, I think she would love it. And by the way, um, I did lead today's newsletter with a Taylor Swift lyric. Okay, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. Mosh, kick it off. What are you watching? Sticking with film, I'm going to finally see Oppenheimer this weekend. Much delayed, but I've been trying to find a four-hour window uh, to see that, so I'll be doing that. And I keep hearing about this Adam Sandler Netflix a movie you are so not invited to my bat mitzvah. Uh, so I might be checking that out. I started it. It actually features his daughters. Uh, he is in it. And I read a couple of reviews and one person said they thought this was just going to be kind of like a vanity project for Sandler to give his daughters an opportunity to, to have some lead roles in films. But they said it's actually really good. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, who would have thought it? Adam Sandler's become this huge Netflix star. He has those films with Jennifer Aniston and now this. So he's he's found a home over there. Uh, Jill, what are you watching? I'm also going to be staying on Netflix with a documentary called Ladies First, a story of women in hip hop. And it's basically what it sounds like. Uh, it looks at the influence of women on hip hop music and culture. And it's been getting great reviews. All right. What are you reading? Okay, so I'm reading Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And I'm almost embarrassed because this is now like my third Taylor Jenkins Reid book that, I, <laughs> that I've suggested. She wrote Daisy Jones and the Six, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Uh, this is described as an epic adventure about a female athlete, perhaps past her prime, brought back to the tennis court for one last grand slam. It has been sitting on my nightstand for a couple of months. My husband actually saw it at Target and bought it for me because he knew I liked the author. But it feels really appropriate given the U.S. Open right now. Mosh, what non-beach read are you reading this weekend? <laughs> Jill, how do you know? I'm reading uh, a book called Under the Eye of Power, How Fear of Secret Society <laughs> Shaped American Democracy, as I would. So this is actually a fascinating book that talks about America's obsession with conspiracy theories. And it goes back to the Salem witch trials. But they're not an aberration. Like, they're a constant in American history. 
George Washington believed in conspiracy. Abraham Lincoln believed in various conspiracies. Um, and you go back and also there's all these conspiracies related to immigrants. And initially uh, you see a link between how Americans feared Catholics coming 200 years ago uh, and so called them groomers. And you hear the same today with the LGBT community. So there's an interesting linkage there. The books by uh, Colin Dickey actually interviewed him. The interview will be on the premium podcast next week. So another reason to join Mo News Premium, you get access to that conversation. But under the eye of power, it's a compelling read. And Jill, if I was on the beach this weekend, I would read it on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Moshe, my favorite part of this. What are you eating? All right. So we are stocking up on uh, foods. Uh, Alex has been meal planning and cooking in advance of postpartum. So stocking up the freezer, etc. And she was like, Moshe, what are you going to be eating? Uh, during that time. And she happened to be passing by Murray's in the West Village. And so uh, we now have a whole stack of chicken pot pies from Murray's that I'm looking forward to getting into this week. This is when you do cereal for dinner, Moshe. <laughs> <laughs> Once the chicken pot pies are done, Jill, <laughs> on to the cereal. What are you eating this weekend? I'm going to treat myself to a little lobster. It's Labor Day weekend. I'm going to a big barbecue. We're going to see some fireworks. I'm going for it. All right, take the summer out in style. We do want to mention there will not be a podcast on Monday uh, because of Labor Day. We'll be back Tuesday, though. Uh, for now, though, thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. Tell them about us. It will really help us grow. And Moshe and I uh, will really appreciate it. And while you're at it, throw us a review in the App Store. Yes, we love your reviews. They help us grow uh, more than a thousand on Apple. I think we're about to hit a thousand on Spotify. And in other news, Jill, we had two million downloads of the podcast just this year, three million wow. in just over a year now that we've been putting this out. So thanks to all of you for uh, growing, for telling your friends about it, for telling your family about it, and have a wonderful and safe holiday weekend. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.